Welcome to Closing Day. This podcast is for anyone looking to get into their very first home. The steps to buying a property are complicated. How much house can I afford? Where do I start? Should I just rent for the rest of my life? Hear from industry experts and get the answers. If you're looking to purchase your first home, you are in the right place. This podcast will help you get closer to closing day. Hey everyone, this is Cassie, producer of Closing Day, and we're here with our host, Kyle Pucko. Kyle, what'd you think of this episode? This is one of our top episodes. We interviewed Andrew Squires, a uh, real estate advisor with Engel & Volker's Western Frontier. Uh, and the, the thing I loved most about it is it just really walks first-time homebuyers through the first meeting with a real estate agent to the offer letter. So there's a lot that happens in between there, and we really dove into some, some fun topics. Um, just a little bit about Andrew. You know, he's he's spent only eight months at Anglin Volker so far, but his background is in business and consulting. He's he's owned a coffee company right here in Missoula, uh, grown it and then sold it. Has some background in elementary education, so a really cool, uh, really cool conversation and background. And he's also uh, a forward on our indoor soccer team, so that's how we initially met. Um, Cassie, what were some of your big takeaways? You know, when looking at the first time home buying process, I think people are always curious what they're going to pay to all the different people that are helping them. Mm -hmm. And he really breaks down, you know, just how realtors are paid and where that money's coming from and, you know, how to select the realtor that does the best job for you. Yeah, ultimately it came down to a couple a couple things. And I think you wrote it down, Cassie, you have to know yeah, you have to know, like, and trust your real estate advisor. Um, he liked to use the word advisor, which I think is super true to all the people we've had on the podcast yeah, so far. Definitely. You know, if you find the right person, they're going to be on your team through the whole process. Yeah, so I think this episode is for folks that are you know, through that lending process or just curious about the whole home buying process in general, but have a lot of questions specific to finding that realtor and what, what questions to ask. So looking forward to, to hearing. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. All right, we're here with Andrew Squires of Engel & Volker's Western Frontier. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Happy Friday. Yeah, you as well. So we're really excited to have you, our first realtor in uh, in closing day, our season. So, um, you know, right off the bat, I really like to hear about how you got into the world of real estate because... It seems like most people don't start, grow up and say, oh, real estate really interests me. This is something I want to get into. So what was your path toward to real estate? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, that's a great question. And uh, like many of the people, my path was winding for sure. Um, I think what you said is right. Most people don't just uh, grow up and say, I want to be a realtor someday. Uh, so I've been in Montana uh, about 25 years, was born here. And been here for the last 15 years with my uh, wife and, and great kids living in the area and had just a great career. I uh, went to the university, got my teaching degree, and was working at a very comfortable salaried position in town. Mm -hmm. And uh, through that position, I uh, found out that that position was going to be transitioning. And a lot of my work uh, at that job was running a facility okay. on the uh, west side of Missoula, uh, right by the Pacific Recycling Center. And we'd taken uh, a large warehouse building, basically. It had two large rooms. Mm -hmm. and had remodeled the entire facility to include uh, eight businesses. 
And so much of my job in that position, my salaried position, was uh, handling the leasers, the construction, mm -hmm. what turned out to be commercial real estate at the time. And so as I found out my role uh, in, that, in that job was changing, uh, somebody said, hey, you should really consider real estate. Oh. Um, and you know, I listened to them, and it was somebody that I went to high school with, trusted their insight. I said, uh, you know, maybe, but uh, I've never re really met a realtor that I liked. Sure. I'm um, not very salesy, you know, and I also said I'm not I'm a bad liar. So um, I'm not going to, you know, meet with people and try to be shifty. Um, so probably not for me. And uh, transitioned out of that job. And a few months later, my wife said, hey, you, should, you know, you should really consider uh, looking into real estate again. I think she was right, your friend. Um, and so I did. I kind of put, you know, said, hey, if I can take the test, study pass the test, then I'll give it a shot. And mm -hmm. so for me, uh, that's what happened and Very took cool. the test. And I've been in Missoula for quite a while. So it was a pretty natural transition for me. Knew the area. So just knowing the area. Yeah, knowing knowing a lot about the town, a lot of people. So Yeah, very cool. You mentioned you're a bad liar. You didn't want to be shifty. <laughs> yeah. It seems like yeah. when folks think about realtors, sometimes that's the image that's conjured up in their heads. Why do you think that is? And I guess a precursor to that question is what exactly does a realtor do? What's a, for a first time home buyer, how can a realtor be an asset? Yeah. So I think the main thing uh, now being in real estate a couple of years, um, like anything, I think the negative or the extremes are kind of what get the press, mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. So, you know, politics, religion, you always hear about the extremes on those. And I think realtors sometimes get that rap for sure. Uh, to where you only hear about the really good ones and the really negative ones. Mm -hmm. um, and so being in the industry, there are definitely, you know, you learn companies and people that are going to be cordial. They're going to communicate effectively. And then you also find out as well who's on, maybe on the other side. So yeah. um, that was a hesitance for me of, of I like to do uh, what, I'm, what I say I'm going to do. I have integrity. I work hard mm -hmm. and I tend to work with those kinds of people. You know, being a real estate advisor myself, uh, the biggest key is that word advising. Um, and, and with my clients, buyers and sellers, and anybody who's interested in real estate, my job is to really advise them uh, on the data, on the facts, uh, on the area, on what I know, on the industry. Mm -hmm. And so day to day, uh, the job of a real estate advisor uh, varies so broadly. So you're talking about paperwork, uh, the legal aspect of things, uh, research on property, so potential buying and selling, mm -hmm. um, price points, lending, uh, schools, uh, job information, lifestyle information. A lot of Montana uh, people have this image of what it's what it's what it's like to live in Montana, and so uh, sharing what I know and what my insights from being here for 25 years. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of my job is that as well. Very cool. Um, we've talked with renting versus owning with Julie. We've talked with budgeting, saving up for a down payment. And we've talked with two lenders. And now we invited you, a realtor, to come talk to us about that process. Is that the right order? Uh, for, for me as a, uh, an advisor in real estate, uh, the biggest, the first thing I ask my clients to do is what's their financial uh, readiness, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes we can have a wish or a dream for something, but, you know, the facts are what make it so. Um, and so the clients that I work with, 
you know, financially, they're, they're usually pretty aware of where they're at. So for me, lending is probably first okay. to, make, to make sure that they're ready to be purchasing. And are they coming to you with, um, what's it called when they have the form that says, this is how much home I can afford? Yep. So there, uh, it begins with pre-qualification. Right. And that's a very loose, they've had loose conversations with some sort of lender, mm-hmm. whether it be online or local. And then the pre-approval is, is the more important piece of paperwork where they've actually run the, um, the checks on the person who's going to be borrowing the money and okay. saying, this is what you are actually approved for. And then based on the, uh, the property they purchase, then all the deal gets finalized. Mm-hmm. I think a big question for first-time home buyers is how to find their yeah. real estate advisor, their yeah. realtor, and uh, it can be a noisy world. Yeah. And I'm curious, how do, how do people find you and how do you... Um, how do you recommend people going about doing due diligence before they sit down and start asking some of these questions? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, the big thing um, is is to know, like, and trust um, any professional uh, that you go to use or service or relationship that you have. My approach to um, finding clients or clients finding me, it tends to be an omni-channel approach. So um, it's not one avenue f- uh, uh, per se. It's not just strictly online. It's not phone calls. Um, I try to be presence for those who are needing a service, uh, relational in this area. So I've got a, a website mm-hmm. um, through our brokerage in town. I've got my own personal website. Uh, social media is a huge one because you're mm-hmm. seeing um, the personality of a realtor um, in action. You're seeing possibly their family, their lifestyle, their living. Um, you can verify uh, reviews from past clients. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see their industry knowledge, uh, listings they may have, solds they may have. And uh, one thing that I really like to show on my, whatever it is, my social media website is kind of my work, work ethic. You know, working for my clients is, is an extensive job. And right. um, I mean, last night I was working till about midnight writing offers and was up early and yeah. I've got a wife and, and a lot of kids. So um, I think you can kind of do a full circle of diligence um, on potential real estate advisors, mm-hmm. um, asking friends, neighbors, those you trust is key. The one thing I would caution against is uh, many shoppers that are buying uh, work through Zillow and Realtor.com. Mm-hmm. And those places, uh, realtors can kind of skew their reviews on there mm-hmm. so they can get, um, they can gather teams and do you know, so some indi- an individual realtor can have their clients review on there, but teams and large brokerages can pay people to do reviews. They can put in all their past clients. That's so it's, interesting. it's yeah. hard to kind of see uh, what's most current and what your interaction will be with those companies. So I would say try to find friends, try to try to listen to, um, you know, people in the neighborhood who might know. Mm-hmm. Reputation goes before, uh, I would say, good realtors. Yeah, yeah. Reputation seems like... Um... You know, in a town like Missoula, and we have you know, listeners all over, sometimes there are those power brokers in town mm-hmm. that everybody knows and they yep. see on the billboards and the buses, and they might have thousands of reviews. They've been in the business mm-hmm. for 30 years, um, while other real estate advisors getting into the game are yep. you know, maybe one or two or five. What advice would you have when you're diving into those into that review world? You know, yeah. do, you, do you skew high? Do you skew low? What Yep. What's what's the right move? Yeah, I think the and what I've experienced in the real estate industry is that with the client, um, you, you, they're going to have this gut feeling. You know, you walk into a house, you just feel like this this is the house I'm supposed to be in, or 
this is an area I don't like. I can just, there's something I can't quite put my finger on it, mm-hmm. but I can just tell this isn't it. Um, and I would say with, when you're selecting a real estate advisor, you know, you trust your gut instinct. Um, this process, um, I know you mentioned in one of your previous episodes, but it's a very stressful process. Mm-hmm. Buying and selling properties is is one of life's most difficult, you know, situations. And so when you're looking for those real estate advisors, find somebody you like, find somebody you you jive with, you would spend time with, could be a friend. Also, obviously, very competent in the industry, but uh, you're going to be having those conversations, spending time with uh, with those real estate advisors. You may as well like them. You may as well trust them. You know, and the thing too, you can, like any industry, you can buy yourself that exposure and that power. Mm-hmm. And uh, many realtors and, and power brokers have done that to where you see them all over the place. And uh, that's that's the power of marketing. You know, if you trust that gut instinct when you're looking for a realtor, they may not be the most powerful, they may not have the most experience, um, but if you get along well, you know they're competent, mm-hmm. um, they're just as likely to do a great job with you as well and for you. Very cool. What does that first meeting look like? I'm researching, I'm a first-time home buyer. I found myself on Zillow. I found someone, you know, this this might be a realtor that I want to reach out to. Oh, they have a personal website because yep. I shouldn't trust the Zillow reviews, according to <laughs> Andrew. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> carefully, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And and we decide, you know, this is somebody that I want to meet with to discuss my first-time home buying process. Is it a coffee shop? Does the person have an office? Do you meet, um, you know, at their headquarters? What does that What does that look like? Yeah, I think for every potential uh, client or person shopping, that is, that is a very specific and unique situation. Um, I've had first discussions uh, with potential clients uh, via text. Um, you know, now we get so many phone calls in a day uh, mm-hmm. that you just never know who it is. And so I, I found that clients like to text quite often. Um, people uh, interact through Messenger on Facebook, could be Instagram, uh, direct messaging there. But usually what happens is we'll connect on the phone and uh, either grab a quick coffee and just have a quick discussion of, you know, what are you, what are you looking for? Where are you at in the process? Um, what kind of questions do you have for me? How can I help you? Something really simple. Um, Montana tends to be a pretty casual kind of place. And so people, you know, are happy to grab coffee, happy to go for a walk, happy to, to uh, enjoy one of the local breweries in town. And so yeah. it's usually something just like that. Yeah. Cool. And you mentioned gut instinct. Yep. And so you sit down and your, your gut instinct is strong. You say, this is great. I'm, I'm going to work with this realtor. You go to see the first house and maybe it feels like your gut instinct might have been a little off. It feels like the realtor is really pushing this home on you and you should get in now and it's high pressure and high stress and you think, hmm, did I just make the wrong choice? What does that look like as the buyer? Are you locked into this relationship? How do you get out of it? Is it easy? Do you have to hire a lawyer? What is what does that contract looks like look like when you sit down and say, okay, I choose you. Actually, I changed my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that gut instinct, I mean, again, you have to remember that in, in this transaction, in this process, you know, it's it's your uh, control over the situation. It's your situation. Um, it's going to be your property. And so really trust that gut instinct, trust the uh, the authority you have in the relationship. Uh, many, many realtors operate different ways. You know, I like to, I tend to operate pretty relationally. And so um, if I if I meet with a potential client and they say you know this is our timeline we've you know we know we're going to be purchasing I'll usually say okay 
Um, I'm not going to make you sign anything and there's no contract. I'm happy to work for you and with you. I just want to know that you're not going to be off working with other realtors, um, you know, wasting their time, wasting my time, just respect each other's time. Um, some, some realtors may have you sign what's called the buyer broker agreement. And there are different parameters that could go into that to where um, it could be a time frame. It could be six months a year that you know they ask you to strictly just work with them. It could be uh, based on just one property. So maybe you go look at one property and they say, for this agreement, um, you are basically signing saying that when we see this, you'll be working with me if we write an offer. Before it, you see the house. Before you typically see the house. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And it, it's what's kind of an old school way of operating was having that relationship signed mm -hmm. with the realtor prior. Now that there's more options and options are more accessible, usually online, um, less people sign those buyer broker agreements. So it does make for market confusion at times mm -hmm. where a client may be discussing properties um, with multiple agents and the agents are confused, the client's confused. Mm -hmm. So the key is communication and clarity kind of at all times if possible. Yeah, and, and so you're, if you haven't signed a buyer broker agreement, you have total freedom to walk to another realtor if you feel uh, you'd prefer to do that. You mentioned confusion. So meaning that when a buyer is looking at a home, potentially the agent is working with other families looking at the same home. Have, does that happen? And what does that look like? Um, it could be. So in, in a transaction, typically they're uh, the two agent relationships would be one agent representing the seller of the property. And there are times that agent um, could operate what's called the dual agency status where they would represent the seller of that property and then also could represent any buyer of that property, if that makes okay. sense. Mm -hmm. And so their role is basically a mediator in, the, in that situation. But typically, the most typical you see is an agent representing the seller with the best interest of the seller in mind, and then the a buyer agent with the best interest of the buyer in place. Mm -hmm. And so that agent could be working with multiple buyers to come to that listing. Um, but what typically will happen is, is a buyer will be either looking at a property or searching for properties, talking to multiple agents, mm -hmm. and the agents don't know that buyer is talking with other agents, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. Let's talk timelines. Yeah. So we meet. We decide, yep, you're you're the agent of choice, and you start looking at homes. What's the velocity? Are you looking at um, one home a week? Is it five homes a week? Hmm. Uh, what do you recommend for folks when they're calling you and saying, Andrew, I've I've got another home I want to look at, and it's been it's been five homes, and they haven't made a choice. Should they be feeling rushed to the decision? How do you coach people through that? Yep. So again, going back to what I mentioned before. Um, remembering your place in, in the transaction, in the process, you have that authority as the client. So if you're buying a home, the timeline, the, you know, the velocity of looking, all those factors are really in your court. It's mm -hmm. your uh, realtor or whoever's working with you. It's their responsibility to advise you and serve you along that process. Mm -hmm. um, so I have seen all over the gamut on this. Um, you know, I've had clients, we looked at 12 houses in one day. And they, they didn't purchase any of them. Wow. Um, you know, so they may come into town and, and have, you know, this huge list. Uh, but really, you know, I always like to operate with the end goal in mind. 
if you know we're relocating in six months, we know we have positions, you know, the sooner you can start the process, the more information you're going to have and the more informed you're going to be making the decisions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're looking at certain neighborhoods, if you you have your price points, if you know uh, more about schools and neighborhoods and lifestyle, um, then the more prepared you are, the sooner you start. In the end, I believe the better the decision that you're going to make and the happier you're going to be with that situation. So it kind of depends. 12 in one day, maybe yes. not recommended, but if that's yeah. what needs to happen, you're flying in from out of town, you're yep. looking, that's yep. the speed you have to move. It happens. Others move much, much uh, Yeah, much and I will say too, so on the, kind of on the short end of the timeline, um, if you, you know, say we looked at a property today and uh, you were financially... Um, available, you had pre-approval, all that, you're looking at at least about 30 days before you'd actually be able to move into that house. Okay. So on the very short end of a timeline, you're going to need at least 30 to 45 days to get a new, new property if you're looking for financing on that property and those sorts of situations. So mm -hmm. at least a month. One of the things that was really confusing for me when uh, I purchased my first home was going to look at a house, you're walking through the home and it's you, maybe your significant other, and your realtor, um, and maybe some family members, but that's for, for in my circumstances, that's who, who I was with. And I didn't know what questions to ask my realtor in the home. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at a water heater, and I don't know if this water heater is one year old or a hundred years old. <laughs> yeah. I don't have an eye for that stuff. Yeah. I don't know if the roof is in good shape. Are these questions that I should be asking now? Does that wait for a home inspection? What do you advise clients to do? Yeah, so I think when I when I'm working with a client who is looking to buy a property, you know, we immediately we get the usually like you said, they're usually on Zillow or online. They found this property. They said, "Hey, this is great. You know, can we set up a showing?" Um, as soon as they send me the details on that, what I do is I go through the photos, the description. Um, most most listings will have documents associated with that listing that realtors can see. Mm -hmm. So it's going to have the county data uh, disclosures from the owner about any issues that may be already aware on the property, cool. uh, the map of the, of the legal layout. And so what I'll do is I'll study those things and just kind of you know, browse over them and say, okay, I look at the property real fast. Here's the details. Here's things for us to consider. So when we go to view the house, you know, are there other things you want to you know, look at while we're there? Do you want to mm -hmm. notice? Because some things, a property could look great on paper, but you show up and you're like, okay, this is, this is why story. nobody has bought this house so far. Yeah. Yeah. I've shown up and um, we were at a beautiful property and we get out of the car. And as soon as we get out, we start hearing uh, gunshots, like a rifle range. Beautiful property, yep. but the sound from the gun range. All day, every directed, day. Yes, all day, every day. Or, gunshots. you know, right in front of an airport. So those things you yeah. just don't know until you're there. And so I usually direct my clients, okay, look around, try to try to picture what it would be like to live here. Do you notice anything funny in here? Are there mm -hmm. any funny smells? Because you're really in the due diligence period. Um, what could we find out about the property that they're not already telling us? Mm -hmm. Again, trusting your gut instinct. And uh, there's no stupid question when you're um, researching something like this or looking around. So, Do you find most people are looking for reasons to move forward with the house at that point or most people are looking for reasons not to buy at that it point? It depends on the urgency of the situation. So if they are needing to move in one month, you know, they're, they're walking through a little speedier and overlooking things. And so then my job is to kind of point out like, hey, this is, you know, let's consider this also. Let's be careful. Um, but usually... 
you know, they're looking for reasons to not purchase the house. They're looking at what could be wrong, what could be an expense they incur after buying the house, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. But Is yeah. there a risk there in getting too too specific, meaning there's going to be flaws everywhere and maybe there's not a perfect home for you? Or do you yeah. believe that for everyone there exists the perfect home? No, I think for I think for seasons there there is a home that you feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. Now, there, I, I don't believe there's anything perfect in life. Mm-hmm. You know, you make the best of whatever situation you're in. You know, we're talking about properties that are not brand new. You know, it's just like a car driving it off the lot. As soon as you've driven it off, it's a used car. Right. So there are going to be small things and maintenance with every property is an issue. Um, but really, people are looking for a lifestyle and experience to see themselves, you know, living in a certain way. Um, walking their kids to school or walking to downtown or whatever it might be mm-hmm. and finding that property that provides that for them in the future, I think is feasible for everybody, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. Um, you know, once once you find a property that a client likes, um, property inspections are not mandatory in the state, but they are absolutely, I think, vital mm-hmm. to seeing what is underneath um, you know, the front of the house. That comes later after you've begun offering uh, actually on the property. After you've made an offer, yep. an offer is accepted. Yes. Cool. Exactly. Great. So it's interesting. Up until this point, you followed me to 20 homes. I've found things wrong with all 20 of them. Am I... How much do I owe you at this point? How does that work? I think first-time homebuyers are a little confused that this realtor is spending a lot of time with me. They're giving me great advice. We've spent a lot of time and used up a lot of their time, and I haven't opened up my wallet once yet. What's the next step? Do I owe you money? Should I tip you after each home showing? What? How do you get paid? Yeah, exactly. So uh, while shopping, uh, I do not get paid. Uh, my job is to advise you all along the process um, if any realtor tells you you have to pay them to do that, <laughs> find a new realtor. <laughs> yeah, find a new realtor. Yes. Um, no. So uh, you know, realtors are paid on the commission of the sale of the house when it actually closes, mm-hmm. um, and and so the seller of the property actually pays the commission for both of the realtors if they're involved. And so, if you're buying a home, you really actually do not pay the realtor at all. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, up until this point, we've talked to lenders, we've talked to budget experts, we've talked to um, first-time home buying classes, and we actually haven't paid a single dollar. Mm-hmm. So now comes the fun part. Now you found a home, yeah. and all of a sudden, the emotional, uh, the emotional decision that you mentioned at the start of the podcast hits home, literally. Yeah. And you have to sign some documents saying this is a home I like. Um, I'm ready to make an offer. So you go and look at a $200,000 home. Your realtor does their due diligence and says everything about the home checks out um, in terms of what's on paper. Everyone agrees this is the home. This is it. We've done it. And it's not closing day yet, but it's a big step. Mm-hmm. Can you explain and help folks understand you, you leave the house, you're in your car, you're sort of debriefing with your agent. What happens next? Yeah, so they've seen the house and they decided. Have they have they yet offered on the property? They have simply they've decided. They've seen the this house. They're in the driveway and there's four other couples looking at the home and they're <laughs> feeling some pressure. They're feeling some stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a stressful situation. Um, so at that point, the um, the clients, you know, need to know the financial side of their situation. So whether they're 
you know, if they have the cash to put down, then that makes it very simple. Um, if you know, that's one option. Mm-hmm. If they're if they're needing lending though, um, they need to kind of know what they are already pre-qualified for. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the uh, the realtor is going to begin the paperwork um, to to get over to the sellers. Mm-hmm. That will um, essentially it's a buy sell agreement is what it's called when you make an offer. On there, you you put. Uh, the offer price that your client is willing to purchase the house for. Mm-hmm. Um, part of any uh, offer is also earnest money, basically a financial promise uh, that you're going to have this contract in place. So the earnest money usually goes to a title company mm-hmm. during the length of the transaction. Okay. Um, Can I pause you there? Yes. What that kind of looks like. So that's, yep. is that $10,000 in earnest money that I've got to come up with that night or in the driveway? Yep. Or how does that yeah. How does that work? So with with an offer that you write on a property, there are a few factors that go into that. So the purchase price, the mm-hmm. amount of the earnest money, um, inspections you may have on the property. Um, what I typically like to do uh, with my clients is when I'm with a buyer, I want the seller to know that my buyers are financially prepared. They're serious about the property. And so I usually recommend, and this is a, it's, there's no hard and set rule with earnest money, but I usually recommend a 1% earnest money for the transaction. So if it's a $200,000 house, earnest money would be $2,000 that my the buyers would have mm-hmm. to come up with and then send into the title company. Okay. And that's how soon after that conversation in the driveway does that $2,000 get delivered? Yep. That's a good question. So as soon as an agreement is in place um, mm-hmm. with the buyer and the seller, there's typically three business days for the buyer to get their earnest money sent to the title company. Okay. It's a $200,000 home. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, I've heard you should come in under because you can save some money on the home price. How far under should you go under? Should you make an offer that's above asking price? Should you should you say I want to buy this home for two hundred ten thousand dollars to guarantee it? What, yeah, what, this is what where is this is where uh, having your professional, trusted professional that you know, like, and trust your real estate advisor is very key. Yeah, um, you know, it, it really depends on the property, the time of year, how many people uh, are interested in the property that you actually know, and not word of mouth, but like you've, you know. Um, have there been other offers? How long has this property been on the market for? Mm-hmm. What are you financially um, you know, prepared to pay for it? Mm-hmm. And this is where a lot of kind of the, the haggling back and forth um, could go as well with the, with the realtors, but really, um, you know, the data. So if you're, if you're buying and you have a realtor working with you, the, the best indicator of what any property can sell for is what has most recently sold that is most similar to the property you're looking at. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking at the $200,000 house, have others in the neighborhood sold for a similar price? How recently, how similar are the properties? Because you, you don't necessarily want to overpay for a property if you don't need to. Right. So you need to know the urgency of the situation, the uh, situation on the property, and what is what is the best possible price for this property? Because I think in the end, what I always shoot for is the buyer and seller to both leave the deal feeling like they got a good deal, mm-hmm. both people being happy. Can a buyer shoot themselves in the foot by trying to save $2,000 when they're going to own a home for 30 years and losing out on a potential home? Yeah, I think it's it's knowing your gut, knowing you know how much do you love a certain property, mm-hmm. how much is this it versus another one. 
Um, the, the right answer is it's always a good time to save money. Um, even though, you know, your mortgage is an extended, um, you know, time frame. If you can save that money, save it. But if you really want that house, um, then $2,000 isn't much of a savings to make sure you get that house. Sure. So you send the offer and the buyers have, or the sellers have a certain amount of time to say, yep, we approve your offer or no, we decline it. And if it gets declined, you're out of luck. Yeah, uh, typically. So in any offer, when it's submitted by a buyer, there's a time frame in there. So the, the buyer and the buyer's agent will give the seller and the seller's agent a specific time frame of please respond to us. Um, typically it's one day, could be two to three days. Mm-hmm. Respond to this offer within this time frame. Um, if they don't, they don't have to respond, they can just kind of let it be. And that's a, a sign of a, you know, disapproval of the offer. If, if it's, um, there are points they want to negotiate on the offer. Uh, sorry, first off, they can just simply accept the offer. Just mm-hmm. say, yes, we agree. And the property everything. is now under contract. It's, it's Let's start this transaction. That's option one. Option two, they can uh, negotiate a little bit. Maybe there's an issue with the purchase price. Maybe they don't like the time frame of when the transaction would happen. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's, it's too soon or too long. Um, they can negotiate that. Um, and send it back to you and say, actually, and, and send it back to you yep. and also this. give you a time frame as well. So here, yeah. you know, thank you for the offer. We would like to adjust it a little bit uh, through this counter offer you have until this time frame to respond to us cool. or we don't have a deal at this point. Cool. Um, and during that time, can other people be sending them offers and saying, oh, we offer this much, we offer this much, and you're the seller of the home, and now you have four offers on the table and choose one? Yep. So uh, in a busy market like it is right now, uh, this is actually happening, and especially mm-hmm. so spring and summer time frames, this does happen. Um, until a seller has a signed agreement in place, um, it's the seller's agent's responsibility to bring any offers to the seller. And so they can um, receive open and see offers. Mm-hmm. They what's what's very important is a seller does not have to tell any other buyers what the other offers are, if ah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so if I'm a buyer and I want to know, okay, should I bid two hundred or two ten? Yep. Oh, yep. what did the other people offer? It, yep. It's not. Nope, they're not it's allowed not to say that. Not an open book. Nope. Yeah. And so that's where you get people who will pay above uh, asking price. So. Um, try to pay a different financing method and other stuff like that. Get strategic with their offers. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, this has been amazingly informative, and I think it's time we jump into our closing time. So we typically ask the same four questions to our guests. First, what is the biggest myth surrounding the home buying experience? Yeah, I think one of the biggest myths uh, that I hear so often is that buyers don't want to use an agent because they think that they will be paying for them when they go into the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, a buyer's agent is there to advise um, for legal safety, for industry knowledge, for area knowledge. And uh, people so often say, oh, I don't need a realtor when really uh, the property, that seller, their commissions is going to, it's already agreed upon, but it's either going to be paid to one agent who only represents the seller, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. or two agents and one representing each person, if that makes sense. Yeah, so there's really not a lot of reason as a buyer. There, there's almost zero reason, reason to not have an, an agent when you go to buy. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's, that's good info. Get yourself an agent going yes. to buy a home. What book would you recommend for our readers? And it can be financial literacy, it can be real estate, or it could be your favorite Lord of the Rings book. Hit us with uh, hit <laughs> yeah. us with a book for our readers. <clears throat> yeah, no, I feel bad. I, I, uh, I'm an avid reader. I love to read. Um, you know, what I tend to actually uh, consume at this point the most is podcasts and blogs. Um, and so I would say if you are interested in real estate, there's just so much out there. But uh, number one, um, in this is is financial literacy so you know knowing knowing your career track knowing uh what good investments are knowing how the process works begin to educate yourself is so key mm-hmm. um you can and, and there's so many free resources out there that uh, there's just a ton out there um you know knowing your financial philosophy as well of, of how comfortable are you with debt um mm-hmm. do you how much cash do you have in your life like how, do you have budget set up Right. That is super key. Um, I would say just book-wise, uh, one of the best books I've ever read. I, I'm, I'm a business owner as well. Um, just recently read Phil Knight's book, the founder of Nike, Shoe Dog. Shoe Dog, cool. And that was a book I could not put down. It was incredible. Um, just the story, the grit, the ideas, yeah. um, an amazing read. So it's kind of a fun uh, fun read as well, but but it's a great book. Cool. Definitely have to check that out. Um and the last question: What did uh, what's one piece of advice if you could give just one to a first-time home buyer uh, heading into this process? Yeah, I would say the process. It's uh, never too soon to start researching and learning, and um, you know you'll never regret all the information you get when you when you start early. That's a solid piece of advice. Yeah, Andrew, thanks for your time today. You've been an awesome guest, and I'm sure our listeners just learned a ton about. Uh, getting started with with their real estate advisor. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. I would say this too, and I didn't say this before. I I think the process is is so stressful um, that you need to find a way to have fun. You know, find somebody you work with that you enjoy. Make the process fun. Make it a fun memory. And I think it's possible. I think that's a difference maker in the situation as well. So yeah, I haven't had anybody mention fun in no, it is fun in these podcasts. You know, because you're making you're making great decisions. You're dictating so much of your future life that, that you know you can make it fun. You can laugh with uh, the people you're working with. And I think that's a big part of life as well. So yeah, you walk into a home and hear yeah. the gun range, and you can laugh about <laughs> it. <laughs> well, the things you, you'll see in houses will shock you, and yeah. and uh, it's hilarious at the same time. So make the process fun. Good tip. Well, thanks again. Yeah, appreciate the time. Thank you, Kyle. 